Hi and welcome back. My name is Lori and my podcasts are dedicated to telling stories um, of what I've gone through, what I've experienced in my 29 years and counting as an animal shelter worker. Uh, I ended up off my last episode um, promising to talk about the mascot pets that we have had at the shelter. Um, you don't really work in many places where you get to have pets. I've been lucky enough where I have. <laughs> um, when I first started there, we had four cats and two dogs. Um, the dogs, <laughs> I'm going to start with those first. Um, we had Katie, who was a big yellow lab. Um, Katie would go home with Denise at night, so technically she was Denise's dog, um, but she did come to work every day with her. Um, we also had Jax who went home with Jean and again was her dog as well, um, but would come to work every day. Those two, uh, both were on the desk. They worked the desk with, uh, Denise and Jean. And I learned very quickly that the golden rule was not to pet Jax if Katie was looking. Um, Katie would actually act like she was attacking Jax. Um, she never hurt him. But it was pretty chaotic. Um, and when I first started there, of course, I didn't know that. So it was a little embarrassing because um, I didn't realize this was an everyday occurrence. Um, Jax was pretty dramatic and Katie was uh, pretty much in charge. So she definitely let him know that. Um, Katie was funny, though. She, again, was in charge. Um, she was kind of one of those dogs that just gave you the attitude of like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> she did what she wanted. Uh, we used to have bins that were in the front office that held treats, um, treats and toys basically that people could buy as they were taking their new dogs home. And Katie would regularly shop from those bins. And it was just to the point where we would take note of what she had taken that day. We'd write it on um, a tab which was kept on Denise's side of the desk. Uh, Denise would settle up every week. <laughs> it was never a problem. That's, you know, she didn't even bother trying to dispute it. Katie purchased it with her money. Um, Katie also, another time, um, any other dog probably would have felt guilt and probably would have gotten in trouble, but not Katie. Uh, the boss had bought a pretty nice Christmas lunch for the staff. Uh, not like a fast food place. This was an actual decent restaurant and it was delivered probably a few minutes before lunch. So everybody was finishing up what they were doing and the lunch was on the table in the lunchroom. And I think everybody can see where this is going. Um, when the staff went in to get their lunch, Katie was on the table eating it. So Katie ate very well that day. The staff did not. Um, Katie was completely, uh, what's the word? <laughs> she didn't care. She had a good meal and that's all that mattered. And that kind of summed up her personality. Uh, she was a really great dog, but she always had that air of, you know, she's going to do what she wants. It was, it was Katie's world. We were just living in it. Um, the four cats we had, we started out with, um, Fox and Melissa who were seniors um, they came in together and it, it was really a sad story. The owner 
for whatever reason had given up the cats or maybe they had been taken. I'm not real sure. Um, but she had been living, she set up like a tent situation behind her shelter, which used to be, I mean, it's still kind of, uh, field like back there, but it really was then. And, uh, she didn't want to leave the cats. And then eventually, I guess she probably realized they were better with us and they did live with us. They lived out their lives. Um, both cats were very old when they died. Um, Melissa had <laughs> the look on her face all the time. She looked like a cranky old lady. She was a nice cat. She did kind of bitch and complain a lot, but, um, I think that was more just her voice, but she had the look on her face, like she was going to kick you off of her front lawn. Um, Fox was the opposite. Fox was just sweet and kind and pleasant. And, um, she was a very portly cat. She kind of looked like a footstool, uh, but she was just really, really a nice girl. Um, and then we had the two boys, JR and Doopster. Um, JR, I covered in my last episode, he was the one that would use the toilet that nobody told me when I first started. Um, he was a really good cat. Um, I was told to be careful of him in the beginning, uh, but he never gave me any trouble. Um, but Doopster, on the other hand, he was adequately named Doopster because he'd dupe you into thinking he was a nice cat and then he would bite and attack. <laughs> He did that often. He did it to customers. He did it to us. Um, he just had a bad attitude. We still loved him, but he had a bad attitude. And one particular staff member used to just love messing with this cat. He was one of those cats where he was just fun to kind of mess with and get riled up. And ironically, when that staff member um, quit and left, uh, so did Doopster. <laughs> so he never admitted to taking Doopster. I private, privately still think that's what happened and I'm fine with that because they were buddies of some kind. Um, the other theory was um, our place was very remote at the time. Uh, there was nothing out there. It was just basically us and then next door to us there was um, um, like one of the big name motorcycle group uh, clubhouses and they never gave us any problems. We never gave them any problems. But I always kind of wondered, maybe he wandered his way over there and made friends with them. Like, I could see it happening. Um, you never know. But uh, the one thing I do know, that cat was a survivor. So I definitely think he, um, you know, made a good situation for himself. Because he was just too feisty to, to <laughs> it be otherwise. Um, about a year into when I started there, we had two orange cats come in and their story was sad too. Um, it was a situation where, um, the person, I think there was a lot going on, but in the midst of it, couldn't care for the two cats, but it was also going through a court situation. So we were holding them, um, being a, a holding facility. That's something we've had to do over the years. Um, but in this particular case, it did stretch out and they had been with us for a year, a solid year, uh, but quite a few months in, or I should say quite a few months before the year, um, after a few months, um, we befriended them and started letting them out. So once the ruling came or whatever, the end of the court case came and it was decided they stayed with us, we just kept them as our own mascots because they were already so comfortable with us. Um, uh, those two cats were great. They, um, 
were named Tommy and Dennis, and we don't know if they were brothers or father and son. Uh, they were definitely bonded and, you know, would sleep together, which is funny because their personalities were as opposite as you can get. Um, Tommy was very timid and shy, whereas Dennis was appropriately named. He was into everything, um, obviously named after Dennis the Menace. Uh, he really bonded with me and I bonded with him. And again, he was the one that was into everything. So if I had been off for a few days and came back, everybody would tell me about all the bad things my cat did <laughs> as if I was going to stop him. I couldn't have stopped him if I was there. <laughs> um, he, one of his favorite things was to go out back and catch mice and bring them to me. And he would make it past all the other workers and would come and bring me a dead mouse. I mean, flattering maybe, not really, wasn't my favorite thing. Um, but I know he, that was his little token of love. So what are you going to do? Um, I also wanted to talk about some of the firsts I've had at the shelter. And one of the main ones and one of the, the more um, important ones to me is my first experience fostering. I had decided I was going to foster a little Siamese mixed kitten. And it's funny because I was still living at home. Um, and we all know my dad did not want me to have a dog. So I'm sure he didn't want me to have a cat either. That would only make sense. Um, and I don't think I even asked. I think I just decided to bring this kitten home. But while I was gathering supplies, Denise came and told me there was another kitten I needed to take. Uh, with this one because they were a similar age. Um, this kitten was a little black kitten that was in a litter, um, but the litter mates were not letting him eat. So he was about half the size of the litter mates. And I thought, okay, yeah, no problem. I'll take him too. So I go to the back to see which kitten it was. And one of my coworkers was bathing him and he was the scraggliest crazy looking black kitten with the biggest mouth on him possible. Like this cat was so loud. He stayed that way his whole life. Just, just really loud and obnoxious, but beyond friendly and outgoing. So in the span, it took me to drive from the shelter home, which was five minutes. It was a five minute drive. Um, I completely bonded with this kitten. I named him Abby Kitty because he was obnoxious. Totally fell in love with him. This cat, I'm telling you, won over everybody, um, my dad included, um, because he, this cat liked to play fetch. You would throw anything, he would run, bring it back to you, which to this day, my dad still talks about. <laughs> he still talks about how that cat just would fetch and just like a dog. Um, but after the foster period was up, I had to bring him back, even though I had been asking my dad if I could keep them, I, I pulled out all the stops. I cried. I made promises. I <laughs> pulled out every stop I could think of. And he kept saying no, which I can totally understand because if you give in once and, you know, I'm working at the animal shelter, the next cute one, I'm going to pull the same thing on. So I definitely see where, where his mind was. Um, but it was rough. I brought Abby back. I put him up for adoption, bald, obviously. And days went by and nobody was picking him and 
he was he was very scraggly looking. That's the best way to describe him. Um, we used to say his fur looked kind of like a plucked chicken. Um, he really grew into his fur. <laughs> he turned out to be a beautiful short-haired black kitten. But when he was a little guy, he was always dusty and just a bit of a disaster. But in my eyes, he was always beautiful. So he kept getting passed up and I kept going home and pointedly telling my dad this and not getting anywhere. And I had a lady come in one day. She was there early before we opened and she mentioned that she was looking for a really friendly kitten. She wanted male and she hoped for a black kitten. And I thought, well, if I can't have them, she seems really nice. I'm going to let her go in early, even though we weren't open yet. So I said to her, hold on, I'm going to go open the door. Well, as luck would have it, my mom called the shelter. We didn't have cell phones then. She called and my coworker paged me that I had a phone call. And I said to the lady, oh, sorry, I'll be right back. Because I don't know why I, I did, because I had no reason to think it was an emergency back then. You, you always had to call people. <laughs> Texting, no. <laughs> so I took the phone call and it was my mom frantically telling me, that my dad said I can adopt Dobby. So now I'm freaking out because I had basically promised him to this other lady, but nothing was getting between me and my boy. So I went back and I, I said to the lady and I, I was freaking out and I said, my dad said I could keep him. And, and you know, and my eyes are all welled up in tears and this kind lady just looked at me and she's like, I'm so happy for you because she could tell how much he meant to me when I was originally talking to her. Um, so basically I ended up getting Abby at the 11th hour. He was just about adopted and somehow it worked out for me. And I had Abby for 20 years, 20 years. I had that little man. You think about all the things you go through in 20 years and through it all, I had this little cat, <laughs> this tiny little black cat with googly eyes. Um, that was my first experience with fostering. <laughs> Side note, I kept the second cat I fostered too, and the third cat. So yeah, fostering is not easy. <laughs> um, after all these years, and I have fostered a bunch since, um, it still never gets easy. Um, when you go to bring them back, you still feel a, a very strong responsibility for this animal to get adopted. And, and it's tough because there's competition. And the last few um, litters, actually my son and I fostered, were not easy cells. They weren't real outgoing kittens. And there were already a lot of kittens in the shelter. So um, it really takes a toll on you. It's very, it's very rewarding, but it is a lot of stress and it's a lot of um, emotions that go into every single foster experience. Um, the last cat I fostered recently, I kept, <laughs> so actually I shouldn't even say this, the last two. Um, so I am done fostering for a while. <laughs> Obviously I have no more room right now, so I cannot foster. Um, but as rewarding as it is, you always do have to realize it does take a, a toll on you emotionally as everything in this job does. Um, I still remember my very first workplace dog crush. Um, we had a, a shepherd mix, go figure, named Dudley. Um, totally fell in love with this guy, and he did get adopted, which 
was fabulous. And, you know, people don't, don't realize for that either that it is kind of bittersweet. I am there to get these animals adopted. And I am still just as passionate about that today as I was when I started. Um, but you do form bonds. So when they get adopted, you're like, okay, I'm super happy for you, but I'm going to miss you. But don't come back. <laughs> That's the main thing. We don't want you to come back. I want you happy in a home. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it, it's emotional. Um, and it, obviously it's a good thing. That's the, that's what we want to see. Um, I've seen the other outcomes, which have been horrible. So I'm always happy to say goodbye to my beloved ones, you know, and I know that there's going to be another one that steals my heart next week. <laughs> That's just the way it goes. Um, another first I had, I remember my first time running the adoption area completely by myself. Um, and it, it was a big deal back then because we had Ma, who was full-time, who ran a tight ship back there. And I was confident that I could, you know, fill her shoes when she wasn't there. So, like, I can do this. I, I had the the passion. <laughs> I could do this. Um, so I remember having this dog that I really liked, uh, a big Newfoundland dog named Dragon. Um, Dragon was funny. He was one of those dogs where he would look like he was smiling or baring his teeth. <laughs> he was definitely friendly. So he, he was just one of those goofy, smiley dogs. Um, super sweet. So I brought him out for this couple. And he's doing good. He's putting on a good show. And I'm so knowledgeable in my mind, my 21-year-old mind. You know, I'm selling it. Well, all of a sudden, Dragon decides he's going to start humping me. <laughs> and he was over 100 pounds. So, and I was young. I was a lot smaller then <laughs> and not experienced. So it's funny because I had read up on dogs my whole life. I thought I knew everything, you know, like most people do <laughs> at that age. Thought I knew it all. I did not. There's just certain things that hands-on experience can really help you. And that was needed to get out of this situation because that dog was strong. I was trying to peel him off. The people were uncomfortable. They didn't help. They went in the building. <laughs> they left me with them. And I remember thinking, geez, I could really have used uh, one of the veterans here with me right now. And I eventually got him off of me. And it was a little bit humbling because I thought I could handle any dog at that point. And this dog just completely embarrassed me <laughs> in front of these people. And I thought at that point, wow, you know, I really have a lot to learn. And that's the thing with um, experience is hands-on experience is, is very valuable. It, it's stuff that you just can't learn from a textbook. And with a job like this, that's the stuff that you really need. I mean, obviously textbook stuff helps too, but it, you can't um, devalue how much hands-on experience and long-time experience adds. <laughs> and I really could have used it then. Um, I remember another first I had where my lack of experience really showed. Um, I used to work the later shift sometimes and I would be in the building by myself and it, it didn't matter if it was dark. It didn't matter any of that. If the doorbell rang, you had to answer it. So if I was there alone and it was pitch black, 
doorbell rang, I had to go answer it. And we didn't have any way of checking. There's no, uh, we didn't have cameras or anything back then. You had to just go and open the door and hope it was a safe situation, especially since our building was so remote back then. So this particular night, the doorbell rings, that dreaded doorbell, and I go creeping to the doorbell because 21, I'll admit, I was still at that age. I was still kind of afraid of the dark. <laughs> I didn't, I, I won't even pretend I wasn't. So I opened the door and thankfully it was a, a non-threatening looking girl. And she's like, I found this here. And she shoves this big box in my hands and leaves immediately and quickly, which was very suspicious. Um, I get in the building and she didn't even tell me what was in the box, but it was rattling. So I'm like, this is some kind of snake. Now, I've never been afraid of snakes. I wasn't even back then. However, not knowing much about snakes and being a cautious person, that made me not want to open that box because <laughs> it was rattling and it was heavy. Um, I lucked out that time and one of my coworkers was still in the building or had just come back for something. Um, so we figured it out together. And that was one of the nice things too with these coworkers is you were never left high and dry. Um, my problem became his problem too, and we worked out a solution. Um, I do miss that. My my original coworkers are all gone now, and uh, yeah, it's different. Um, and in this job, you know, you get to a point where you think you would think after all these years, I've seen it all, I've done it all, I've heard it all. Well, I've seen a lot and I've done a lot and I've heard a lot. You can't plan for most of the scenarios we have. So every scenario is pretty different. Um, and new ones pop up all the time. Uh, it takes a lot to surprise me now. And it takes a lot for me to go, hmm, I don't know what to do. But I still am thrown with new situations every day. The, the animal... Uh, shelter world is crazy <laughs> and I don't know if I could deal with a normal regular boring job and I don't mean that in any offense whatsoever um, because trust me there are a lot of days where the hoopla is a lot <laughs> and I think to myself why couldn't this be a boring regular day um, but to work in it full-time I don't know I don't know how I would deal with that after all these years this is really all I've known. I've worked here for more than half my life, and this is what I'm used to. So would I deal with a regular job? I don't know. I mean, I hope I don't have to find out, but <laughs> you never know, right? Um, one more story I'm going to say before I wrap this up. Um, I do remember my first trauma, and uh, what had happened was I was letting dogs out when I first got there. You would let them out. Back then, you let one out at a time because we had just had one yard on the one side. And while I had the one guy out, I was turning on room lights where they had like cat cages and stuff like that, small dog cages. And I would just stick my hand in, flick the light, go on to the next room. Well, thankfully, I felt something after the one room, and I looked down, and somebody had left a small Pomeranian loose in the room as opposed to in his actual cage in the room and he ran out he squeezed out he was that small that just the door open for my arm to fit in was enough for him to squeeze out well of course he made a beeline for the door that I had just let a big beefy pit bull out 
that I knew wasn't good with dogs. And I panicked. Um, and I remember looking down the hall, I could see into the common room. I could see my coworkers, but they couldn't hear me because all the dogs were barking in the morning. So I had to handle it myself and I ran out. Um, unfortunately the door hadn't latched that a part of that was my own fault. Um, I didn't double check it. I didn't think to back then. Um, and he got out and immediately that dog, the big dog grabbed him and started shaking. And all I could think of was, Oh my God, this dog is going to die and it's my fault. And the dog was actually only boarding with us for a emergency boarding situation. So not that any scenario would be good, but this was really bad. So panic kicked in. I reached, I grabbed that little dog and thankfully the big guy didn't have a good grip on him. I was able to grab him, cradle him to me and turn my back and just get into the door, thankfully, because it wasn't fully latched. So it was bad and it was good. Um, and the, the, Big dog jumped on my back, almost knocked me down, but I did manage to get back in the building. And I'll tell you, I was just a bundle of emotions after that. And I didn't want to tell anybody because I was afraid I was going to get in trouble. Um, it was a, a stupid mistake, but it was just a mistake. And I'll tell you, live and learn. <laughs> Everybody made me feel better about it. I just felt so much guilt about it. Um, the little dog thankfully was okay. He did get a stitch or two, um, but he was fine. I was the one that was shaken up for quite a while after. And, and the boss did kind of rip me a new one, uh, you know, saying that thankfully, um, we were safe, but you know, you have to be aware in situations like that. And I'll tell you that lesson has stuck with me for all these years. And I am one of the most cautious workers you'll ever meet. <laughs> Because when you have something that terrifying, um, being the kind of person I am, I'm very conscientious. I take things to heart like that because I, I try my very best. Um, that was a, a very powerful message I learned. Uh, safety first in my world. <laughs> um, but those are a few of the firsts that stick out in my mind. And, you know, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to rack my brain and I'm going to try to come up with um, what interesting adventures I want to tell you next. I have lots and lots of stories and I hope you'll come back and you'll listen to my next bunch. And I thank you so much for listening. <laughs>